Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey everyone, we want to share with you about something that we're really excited to be a part of. It's called Mindstead. It's like Etsy, but for your mind. As therapists, we can upload all of the resources that we've created for our clients and reach a much wider audience. Mindstead makes it simple for us to build a community of followers and share all of the resources that we have created for people that really need them. Find them at mindstead.org. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We are uh, all three of us here, Bridger and Jen and myself, Melissa. And before we get started with our episode today, we are super excited to tell you guys about something. Also, there's some tree trimming happening in the background. I apologize. <laughs> they always pick this time. I know. It's weird. It's, it, they uh, have an uncanny ability to be inconvenient for recording. <laughs> um, but yes, we're in my neighborhood and I have way, way too many trees. Is there such a thing? I was going to say, what? No. Um, so we have an exciting thing happening at Beyond Healing Center, which is we have been officially approved as NBCC. CE providers, very, very specific. Name. There's a lot of exact way. language. And what that means is that our two trainings that are created by the three of us are um, now approved for 21 CEs, which is each, each yeah. which is a lot. Um, and so we have two trainings that we offer. One is the trauma-informed care training, which is for clinicians and anybody that is working with people in a context where being trauma-informed is important, which we think is everywhere and anyone. Yes. Um, so we do this training for educators, for medical staff. Who else, you guys? All kinds social of people. Yeah, social workers. First responders. Staff. Yes, yes. And so it's a, a really, really thorough training on how to understand uh, what it means to be trauma-informed in all kinds of different contexts. So that's one offering. And uh, the other one is somatic integration and processing, which is our model that we've created here at BHC for the specific purpose of case conceptualization Mm -hmm. through a trauma-informed and nervous system-informed lens. So we are super, super excited excited about about this. Um, But both trainings are three-day trainings, and if you guys are interested, go to our website and have a look at the trainings tab. That's at beyondhealingcenter.com slash trainings, and let us come and hang out with you and do a training. Yes. That would be fun. Yes. Also, we are offering basic EMDR trainings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, you guys are EMDR trainers? That's true. We might have mentioned that. Crazy. Yeah. But we are able to, we've done a few um, with a team of other people with the EMDR Training Center, and now we are offering them, Melissa and I, as the primary trainers on those. And so if you or somebody that you know is not already trained but interested in being Mm -hmm. trained, we would love to connect with you and find out if we can come to you and offer a basic EMDR training. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of, a lot of you out there already are trained and so that might feel irrelevant to you, but if you work in an agency or with a group practice Mm -hmm. and have anyone out there who's looking to be trained and wants specific focus on complex trauma, 
and that approach, we would love to hear from you. So check out our website and send us an email. Yeah. The other thing is, if it's been a while since you've been trained and you're looking for a refresher course, it's also an option uh, to go to a training specifically just to get the refresher. And particularly if your original training was not a complex trauma-informed training, that might be something Mm -hmm. to consider because there's just a lot of research that has happened in the last decade or so and a lot of improvement to the protocol and the way that it's trained to help us do that from a complex trauma-informed perspective. So yeah, come hang out with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, today's episode is continuing in our um, season focused on, or on our series, excuse me, focused on ego state work. And so we've had a couple of releases where we're beginning to talk about what is ego state work. Melissa was able to share a beautiful demonstration of her mm-hmm. work with ego state. And by the way, we've heard from a lot of you on that, and I just appreciate your responses. Mm-hmm. I, I know Melissa is very vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and open for you to share that. So thank you for sharing that for the listeners, yeah. and thank you guys for your feedback yeah. um, and comments on that. So today's focus with the ego state work is looking at it, um, ego state with preparation and resourcing. Mm-hmm. There is so much to cover in this. Oh, oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> We're going to attempt to balance going in depth but also fitting it in with a reasonable time frame mm-hmm. <laughs> might have to be two episodes we might we'll see how it goes. Yeah. there is a lot and i want to give a lot of credit to the source of a lot of the information that we're going to talk about today um, i there's an article out there a research article called integrating emdr and ego state treatment for clients with trauma disorders and that is written by carol forgosh apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly, and James Knipe, um, and that's, there's a, a, a full journal out there. This Which is, is just an incredible one. journal. Yeah. Really incredible. Yeah. Great, journal great, great practice and research. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So this is just one piece of that, and it goes into a lot of in-depth detail about the preparation resource piece of ego state work and how do we begin to introduce that with EMDR therapy. So we're gonna dive in deep on that and um, I've pulled out kind of the highlight pieces and we're gonna toss those out there and then the three of us just kind of give our experiences um, and our added input on there. So it starts out in the article really just overviewing and talking about ego state work and that initial piece to ego state work. And it highlights the importance of clear explanations for the client um, about the ego state system, but mm-hmm. also the therapist themselves really understanding that mm-hmm. um, and knowing what is like, how does an ego state get created? Mm-hmm. What does that even mean and where does it come from? Um, and it defines it as dissociated ego states are the neural networks holding aspects of memory, narrative and physical sensation. So coming from past experiences, these neural networks have held on to these pieces um, for whatever reason, and it's it's typically rooted in an unmet need at that time. Yeah. Yeah. As a result of trauma, life circumstance, there's a, a need that's not met, and so those components get kind of locked into the system, into the neural networks, and they show up later in life as these dissociated ego states. Yeah. I want to point the listeners back to the episode just before this as well, if you need just kind of a refresher on what ego state is Mm -hmm. uh, before we really start diving into it. Mm -hmm. But that developmental approach to ego state Mm -hmm. is so um, beautiful to me because it gives so much um, just validation, I think, to the client's uh, 
life and, and all that has happened to them and all that they've done uh, to, to make it through those things and to cope. Um, those fragmented parts of us that kind of get um, sectioned off mm-hmm. in, in overwhelming experiences are our best way of trying to stay alive, yes. of trying to make it through what we need to and learn from it. Mm-hmm. Those parts hold on to the, the, the environment that it happened in and all of the different somatic cues and everything that was going on so that for future situations, if something were to come up that, that it's similar enough, that state is going to come forward mm-hmm. and say, yeah, I've experienced something similar to this. Mm-hmm. And here's what happened with me. And here's how I responded. Maybe we should respond this way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And that's that piece of each ego state has its particular strategy yeah. for dealing with whatever the, the threat or the stressor is. And those strategies are going to be specific to the age, in quotes there, um, the age of that developmental part. So the kinds of strategies that we see when we're doing ego state work are going to be a mismatch for the actual physical age of the client. But when we understand it through ego state work, it actually makes total sense. Yeah, which is why people get so confused by uh, people's reactions. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, what is happening right now? Why are you reacting so big or so Mm -hmm. shut down? This doesn't match what's going on right now. And that is the shift to that ego state that part just coming forward and saying, this is how I feel about this, however they come forward and say it, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of uh, a client of mine even recently acknowledging that in a session um, that she had gotten triggered and reverted to this like teenager self. Mm-hmm. And she, she didn't recognize it in those concepts as much, but said like, oh my gosh, I got so angry and sassy and snotty. It was a couple's counseling session. Um, <laughs> oh, how often and that happens. And she's like, I just sessions. felt like I was acting like a teenager. <laughs> and as we explored the resemblance of what had come up there and how it took her back to a similar dynamic with her mom and her dad, and she was a teenager, and so mm-hmm. her reaction in those moments was to take that adaptation of kind of fighting back and mm-hmm. yeah. using that strategy developed yes. when she was a teenager. Yes, beautiful, and it showed mm-hmm. back up yeah. um, in that couple session. And her so being able to talk to her in that way about that mm-hmm. yeah. and so having sense of it language, for her. yes, yeah. and it just brings tremendous insight and awareness, and then an understanding of where that comes from, which I think we mentioned it in our last episode is, is incredibly de-shaming yes. yeah yes. it takes away that sense of like mm-hmm. what's wrong with me why did yeah. I act that way or I'm a bad person or it's... I think those are the very reactions that people feel so much shame about yes. um, in, yeah. their, in their life outside of therapy it's mm-hmm. like well people have told me that this part of me is a problem mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. that I get uh, you know negative feedback when this mm-hmm. when this characteristic of mine shows up yeah. and that's really that part getting that negative appraisal mm-hmm. of we don't like this part of you right which right. further kind of compartmentalizes that part yeah. from and, being integrated and that is how we get things like rejected parts yeah. exiled parts mm-hmm. etc you know these aspects of ourself that um are not allowed to be present and the story mm-hmm. that i shared is a story of welcoming back an exiled part mm-hmm. i love that language yeah. mm-hmm. and that is a, a really really common um product of doing ego state with clients is that we identify locate and then begin to create relationship with those exiled and rejected parts those shamed parts um, and what happens is that the strategy that was created is transformed into something that's really adaptive for them. Mm-hmm. What they thought 
was something that is a problem, something that they should be ashamed about actually transforms into something very meaningful and beautiful to them that can now support them in their, their everyday yeah. life. And, you know, to borrow religious language, it's a an experience of redemption, mm-hmm. taking something that was maligned and told uh, that it was bad and bringing it into the light and saying, no, what you offer is beautiful mm-hmm. and welcoming it back into the internal family. Um, and that is a big part of why Ego State work is just so mm-hmm. powerful yeah. and healing because it uh, kind of paves the way for that in a really, really natural way. Yeah. Is that when there's an exiled part, all of the pain and the trauma that's stored with that part also gets kind of trapped. Yes. Like there isn't the ability to go in and heal from the piece that that part is holding on to until Mm. we can welcome them back. That part is seen and is connected with and is soothed Mm -hmm. in that experience and welcomed and appreciated for what it had to offer at the time. Right. And most people are going to need a tremendous amount of reframing from the therapist (laughs) to help them understand that and to make sense of how that redemption process really works and the good that's there. the process of exiling um, that, you know, a lot of remarks are stored, a lot of Mm -hmm. feedback, a lot of moments of, of, accusation or of uh, interpersonal difficulty that are kind of like bundled up and and set in I call it with my clients a big box of proof um, of why that part needs to be exiled or why that needs to not be a part of our relationship because of all of these instances Um, so when we come in with our you know attitude of saying we want to welcome that part back mm-hmm. we run into that big box of proof oh, yeah. that says hey that's a terrible idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's all of this evidence yes. that i have of why i should keep this part exiled that's right that's right yeah. and we hear you know people say things like well if you really knew me oh. then you wouldn't feel that way yeah. anytime a client says that to or anybody else in her life says that to us because that happens too <laughs> oops uh, oopsie yeah. <laughs> uh, anytime somebody says that what they're alluding to is their knowledge of the exiled part and their felt sense of why the exile was so necessary. And I feel like we're doing a deep dive on exiled parts right now, which is fascinating. And bullet point one. <laughs> okay. This is why it might be a two-parter, yeah. guys. Yes, yes. It's so important. It is. It really is. Kind of with that, one of another point that was made is the significance of both the therapist and the client really understanding that these parts, these ego states, have the capacity to change to grow, to adapt, um, I feel to like heal. that point is not uh, understood mm-hmm. in a lot of they people. They think that they're there, about, it stays there. Yeah, it's yes. a state. It, it, yes. it, it is something that it can go away. We can resolve it, yeah. but it's not going to continue forward in a new way. Yes. Um, if you look at some of the ways that some people practice ego state, it is very kind of static uh-huh. in that way. The rigid, it doesn't change over right. time. How do we boundary that part boundary so that it, part, it yeah. only shows up in these yes. appropriate places? That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that point. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and for that process happens with dialogue from the therapist to the part and from part to part. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that process of growing and healing and adapting and changing is going to occur with that dialogue and that therapy and the healing pieces of therapist to part or part to part. Mm-hmm. Or their their adult self, their yeah. apparently normal part to mm-hmm. those other parts because it works that way as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful work as it happens it in session. Yeah. Really beautiful. So that's kind of, again, point one. <laughs> but as we go into the process of what is preparation and resourcing 
specifically look like in these mm-hmm. ways. The first thing we're going to be looking at is assessing the ego state system. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get a clear picture, kind of a survey of the landscape. Mm-hmm. What are we working with? What is there? What is maybe hidden? What's the yeah. exiled pieces? What it, which, which are the parts that are kind of hiding in the corner? Mm-hmm. And you can do this through some really beautiful creative ways of mapping that out, drawing it, mm-hmm. conversations, um, art, really neat, expressive ways of trying to get mm-hmm. a feel of the landscape mm-hmm. as we're looking at the ego states. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note that that process of mapping the internal landscape is not a one and done thing at all. Yeah. Um, that are starting first, a relationship. Yes, yeah, yeah, our first kind of entrance into that, we're opening it up with the understanding that we're going to come back to that, you know, landscape drawing process um, over and over again as more is revealed. Yeah. Um, and there is so much to ego state work that if we miss a part and find it later, um, that doesn't mean that we missed something. It meant that the system was not ready to reveal that and bring yeah. that part forth. So we actually anticipate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I use the analogy of, of uh, even of just the therapeutic situation of the house. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming to visit you in your house. Yes. And there are many residents in yes. this house. And, and many and rooms. I want to know who, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Many rooms for different purposes. Yes. Um, some that guests don't don't get to go, go into. into. Yeah, you don't go into the master bath. Yeah, the first time that you visit See, someone's house. There you go. Or, <laughs> that's very intimate. Or the basement yes. or the attic. Um, don't look in my laundry room. Exactly. There's undies in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and that to me is sets up a really great um, and familiar. Uh, kind of mental image yeah. of when you come to therapy it's actually kind of like me going to your house right and you welcoming me in and where are we going to be today mm-hmm. i have one client that says we we just sit in the foyer mm-hmm. and that's more than anyone else has ever been in so be happy about that yeah. <laughs> and, you're welcome yes and uh really having the different parts come and visit us in our time together yes, yes. Is, is how we've started to kind of exercise mm-hmm. the awareness and assessing the ego state mm-hmm. network. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if there can be a specific image or visual that you pair with it, it is helpful in that way, as yeah. Melissa was talking about coming back to and combining that with the idea that these parts will morph and change and adapt, so will that landscape. And yeah. so reassessing that and maintaining a familiar awareness of what is happening mm-hmm. um, yeah. what's going on in there mm-hmm. um, the other thing it mentions is being able to kind of gauge the level of awareness that the client themselves have of the parts and the yes. empathy they have towards each part yeah. are we working with a judgment towards different parts of self which is really common mm-hmm. really really normal and if the piece of empathy isn't present that is a primary point of focus in the preparation piece. We've got to begin mm-hmm. to connect and create an empathy and an understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we're not already to the place of a appreciation for yet, yeah. that may right. take time, but even just an empathy for that part and what yeah. the experience was as a child, as a teenager, you know, as that part was created, mm-hmm. um, the experience. Mm-hmm. And so there are specific questions we want to could use to explore that um, interweaves that we may use to identify those of getting a gauge of how old were you, what was going on with life at that time, like what was happening in the family, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, was there any good things that were happening, like yeah. what were the 
functions that this part or that child at that age used to survive those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And some of the parts are positive and with and he- yeah, tons yeah, of yeah. strengths. Yes. Yes. And actually those become resources mm-hmm. for the apparently normal self or the adult yeah. self in that room of reconnecting with that part and what it did to survive those circumstances mm-hmm. and saying, how can I use this more now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that is one of the initial places that we often start ego state work to kind of make it more gentle and friendly to clients is actually starting with the parts of self that they like, mm-hmm. that they're comfortable with. You know, one of the easiest places, um, not for everybody, but thinking about their parental self, their nurturing self, um, is kind of a soft entry point for a lot of people, or they're the part of you that goes to work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> work um, self, yes. Work self, yeah, yeah, your professional self, your capable self, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, those do become resources. But the other thing that is beautiful about starting there is then helping them connect that their nurturing parental self is the self that is best suited to interacting with the child parts. Um, because sometimes the apparently normal part, meaning the part that they sort of sit in the most often when they are in therapy, that is the part that might have some ambivalence about those younger parts or those exiled or shamed parts. Mm-hmm. But if they can step into and really feel their nurturing parental self, then they get access to the resource of compassion yeah. that is held within that part. And so sometimes the very first um, thing that we're doing in ego state is really developing their ability to feel those well-resourced adult parts. Um, I very rarely start working with a younger part until there is at least the beginning of a nurturing adult self. If that does not exist for them at all, it is going to be really, really challenging to them Mm -hmm. to meet a younger version of themselves and come with the compassion, the acceptance, and the nurture that is really necessary for the healing. This is where the creativity to me really comes in because, like, for me, I almost use that dissonance between the the critical adult part now Mm -hmm. and the younger part Mm -hmm. to say, do you see kind of where some of this is coming from? Right. Yeah. And I get really protective of those younger parts. I don't like to experiment with them. Yeah. And so I don't like that critical part to get close to the little ones until we have a counterpoint. Even if I have to be the counterpoint for a while, I spend a lot of time expressing protectiveness over them because I think that that is also a disconfirming This is so interesting. And I hope we get to this later in, in the series of actually talking about when we implement some of this. Mm-hmm. Because for me... I have the the connection with them that I want, even if they're not able to treat themselves with the type of protection and nurturance right. that we will. Right. And so if that type of criticism does come up, I always just kind of am checking in with them of how do you feel about this mm-hmm. part? And if it, there is that criticism, just trying to make that as, as intersubjective as possible mm-hmm. as you and me together we are creating something that was different than when that part was exiled, right. and therefore the way that you're treating them um, maybe doesn't have to be that way anymore. Mm, right. And we can use that to start that type mm-hmm. of compassion, um, making a different space mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is really interesting. Yeah, and I think there's there's multiple ways to kind of tackle that main piece, but the, the commonality and, and all that we're doing is identifying the parts, noticing the parts, and having this unconditional acceptance and positive yes. regard towards yes. them. Yes. And so it's through all these approaches of you know getting to that place. Um, Sandra Poulsen, on a training I had taken with her, she calls 
some of the parts of the honchos, like the guard keepers. <laughs> and gatekeepers, yeah. Gatekeepers, yes. Yeah. The idea of we, those are the ones we have to first work with yes. uh-huh. before we all want the kind of work where let's dive yeah. into child self, yes. let's dive into yeah. the vulnerable pieces, but we've got to kind of manage those gatekeepers mm-hmm. and develop a trusting relationship there first yes. and have an alliance in that to then be able to ask them to step aside mm-hmm. so that we can then connect yeah. with the more vulnerable to the client, pieces. The client that I was talking about that only lets me into the four-year uh, that's who I'm meeting there okay. is the, the, the series, the gatekeepers yeah. that are kind of just cordially interviewing me. <laughs> and I'm just kind of saying like, you know, uh-huh. what do you, what do you uh-huh. like? And how, what, what are, are your you intentions yes. with yes. entering yes. the house? <laughs> what are you interested in here? Why are you here? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. That kind of just testing. Uh-huh. Which you, is totally appropriate. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And it to me is the point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I often get questions, uh, you know, in consultation and things like that and talking to people about ego state because I do a lot. Um, this question about, well, how explicit are you making this in session? Like how much are you just like saying these words, these exact words to the client? And I'm like, why would we not? All of them. Like ev- everything that we're saying, we are explicitly speaking to the client. The f- what do you think the like hesitancy or fear is? Oh, that's a rabbit trail but that to me this is what we're doing right well, like, yeah. i don't know <laughs> honestly i i personally relate to the hesitancy um of bringing in that direct language okay and well maybe so, speak to why because i don't yeah i don't, yeah. I don't either so yeah, I like, I'm all, in all the time <laughs> but what i want to highlight in this is even with that hesitancy the success of speaking to it explicitly oh, is dramatically mm, different gorgeous. than how do we mm-hmm. dance around it right um, i think a lot of it is maybe the fears of is my client going to look at me and be like you're crazy like what are you talking about and totally reject it shut it down right so there's that insecurity or that fear there's the pieces of am i going to offend them like Mm. is this going to be offensive language to them that they like the parts and the negative connotation that comes with like multiple personality disorder and you know all of these pieces Mm -hmm. so my attempt in bridging that is to acknowledge like you know checking back in with them and what is how what is your comfort level how are you feeling in this mm-hmm. process and then once they become it becomes part of the language we don't need all of that side talk but when i'm initially moving into like talking to a client and saying like mm-hmm. would you allow me to speak with your such and such part and asking them directly like may i meet with so and so today mm-hmm. and that's scary to say to a client. Mm-hmm. I feel like, what do you mean? Yeah. But as we get into it more, yeah. yeah, saying, how does this language feel for you? If I'm, if we're working and I'm using yeah. these languages of parts, and we've got the, you know, the the skeptic, and we've got the, and we're talking about these different parts, checking in with their comfort level. Mm-hmm. And um, recently, had a client say, like, it's weird, but I crave it. Like, mm-hmm. but I really love it. Right. And so I think it is that as they get more and more comfortable and let their guard down to say, it's okay to talk like yeah. this. Right. It's okay to acknowledge that this is right. what I'm experiencing inside. Yeah. And we can de-shame it mm-hmm. and not continue to perpetuate that idea of that it's weird or right. that you're yeah. broken or you're crazy. Right. That this is a sign that you're like way. super damaged, mm-hmm. extra damaged that I have yeah. to use this. Yeah. yeah. Mel, yeah. I saw your face kind of like shifting. So I'm curious, like what you think of... Jen describing 
that because I see that it's not you don't feel that like no but I usually don't like the right. the usual like hesitance of you know my clients are gonna think that I'm nuts I think that I exist kind of just embrace yeah yeah <laughs> yep. the super eccentric therapist role fully fully committed to that at this point and so you know I I think that uh, that gives me a pass on doing weird stuff and not getting as much of a reaction. The client would say, this makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. You would do that. I think there's yeah. some freedom, though, in the therapist. If you're going to explicitly use this approach, you've got to show up with confidence in it. Oh, yes. yeah. So I completely agree. there would agree. be this, yeah. like, safety, Melissa, in the way that you would talk about it. Right. Of like, right. of course it is. You know, yeah. of course mm-hmm. there's another part yeah. where it doesn't leave. Yeah, it assumes know, the reality of it. Right. Well, so. and it assumes the normalcy of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Validates and, that this is an organic process that the brain goes through which it is yeah i was thinking about like the really short and sweet version of how do i explain this to clients right before i say the weird part of you know there's parts of you etc um and i think that the language that i always use consistently is this is just a way of anthropomize anthropomorphizing your nervous system Mm -hmm. we're putting handles on something that is you know traditionally pretty hard to interact with directly this is just one method of interacting with your nervous system in a direct way and that's about as much yeah preface as i give and i just dive right in and say and so there's going to be a part of you that this and that pretty much the exact same way that i do it i i kind of pitch it as a collaborative we need some type of language Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about your internal landscape and I have some tools um, and the way that I kind of conceptualize things. So I just, I almost set it on the table as a bid for further connection. Mm-hmm. Like I want to learn a way that we can talk mm-hmm. mutually yeah. about this. Um, and I think that this could be really helpful. Yeah. 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 And then I just go. Yeah. So having that shared common language is a big part of that original assessment phase of trying to get a feel for what's really going on for them, kind of creating some understanding about what it means to work in this way. And then later on, we're going to get into some really practical um, ways that we create a structure and a place and the the way of working internally. But this initial process is just kind of getting them used to talking this way and us creating that common language. And the next point that we've kind of made throughout this, but to be really explicit about it, is the relationship of the therapist to each ego state. And this is so significant, equally as significant as it is in just a general counseling session. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with the client is one of the most critical pieces of the work we do. And so that that idea transfers into our relationship with each ego state. Mm -hmm. Um, And really acknowledging, one, developing empathy and connection uh, of relationship with each state and acknowledging that the goal is not to expel any one part. Mm -hmm. The goal is not to kill off or to make one go away or to merge or it's to get rid of. Yes. Right. And once that's known and we develop that safety with each part, we're much more able to work with the person as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like that point, what was just, what Jen just said, uh, is a very provocative thing in the, in the realm of working with ego states. Uh, but it is our fundamental belief. We're not getting rid of anybody. Yeah. And we're not going to come after them in the way of, you need to leave. Yeah. Um, we're there to meet and to understand and mm-hmm. to validate and to integrate yeah. all of those parts into the working model of their ego right. state and system. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important to just kind of highlight that for most of us, you know, depending on how old we are, when we were in grad school, there was kind of this attitude about uh, working with a yeah. fractured system. Parts. and Yeah, dissociated part that... 
uh, health and healing meant that all those parts were integrated into one. Mm-hmm. Um, and in other words, those you. parts, yeah, those parts would disappear into the one unified whole. And uh, um, where the research is now and the clinical understanding of what it means to work with DID therapeutically, that is not how we approach it. It is true that sometimes integration and merging happens spontaneously, but it is not the stated goal. Um, there are still therapists that practice that way, but just know that that is not considered the gold standard anymore of Correct. working with any fractured system. Um, and it is totally possible to have a healthy whole personality, but still have distinguishment between these aspects of self and even some pretty significant uh, distinguishing features, um, that does not mean that they cannot be healthy. What we're looking for is communication and collaboration. There is cooperation amongst all parts of myself. I am not at odds with myself or engaged in an internal civil war. Instead, we are all working together towards a mutual goal, and there's deep appreciation and love for all parts of me. Um, So that's a, a shift in our therapeutic understanding of how we work with this. In some realms where that can feel even more challenging is when we're working with parts that are maybe aggressive yeah. or self-harming mm-hmm. yeah. or suicidal yeah. or scary. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. of the things, yeah, one yeah. of the things that I run into a lot when I'm talking to people about um, trying to help them feel equipped to work with DID is just some general fear because of uh, media and right. civil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, United States uh-huh. of Terra, to name a couple. And uh, yes, it is possible and it does exist where there are systems that are that fractured, but the vast majority are not. Um, and even in working with violent parts, which I have, there is a lot that you can do to create safety in those systems. Um, but it does stretch us as a therapist. But the idea that we would just sort of say, I can't work with this because it makes me nervous. Um, I take great exception to yeah. that. <laughs> and to maybe explore where that yeah, what, goes. What's going on? Because yeah. if a, you know, if you had a child that showed up exactly. and they were diagnosed with ODD and when they came to session, or ODD, yeah, if they came to session and during session they destroyed something in your office, it'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. just what happens. Yes. And so yeah. in order to handle that say, well. hey, kid, what's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, like I can't believe yeah. you did that. And if we understand that a dissociated part that is uh, that age and has that particular way of managing their distress, of course, it's going to show up that way. So I've spent a lot of time offering people things to destroy um, and teaching them to channel it. Old magazines. (laughs) Old magazines. The the ripping sound. Ooh, it's real therapeutic. And then if they happen to chuck a watered up piece of paper at me, it really doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So you just get a little bit strategic. Has that happened? Yes, but not much. Yeah. <laughs> normally, normally it is a threat to see how we're going to respond than an act, actual behavior that comes out. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, maybe I shouldn't tell that story and then tell everybody to not be nervous. But the point is, is that there's a lot that we can do to mitigate those things that we tend to get concerned yeah. about. Stay curious about the motive. Yeah, and yeah. it is it is truly pretty rare that there is a violent or dangerous part in a system. Just that is for the very sake of being managed. violent. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. That's. And, you know, that's never really a reality. Like, right. it, it always, there's always something and under it. Always right. And yes. so that's the same with those parts. They're not showing up just to be mean. They're, mm-hmm. they're showing up because there's an unmet Express need. Express hurt feelings. Yes. And yeah. that's the adaptation that the nervous system learned from that place mm-hmm. of yes. how to 
feel safe or powerful or regulated yes, or yeah. protected in some Nine way. Nine times out of ten, the scariest it gets is that we have a, you know, a teenage part or a young adult part that is really pissed off and wants to cuss at us. Yeah. That's about as intense as it usually gets. And I think that that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other things that we see in, you know, Hollywood depictions are just tremendously rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes clients want to get rid of a part. Yeah. I mean, I've had multiple times they say, but I don't like that part. I want right. to get rid of them. Right. And so that's where it goes they back into exist. that. Yeah. You've got to develop the empathy and compassion that they have towards that part mm-hmm. and why it came to be. Um, and the hurt that comes, um, that came before that. That uh, desire to get rid of a part, you know, in our conceptualization training that we talked about in Mm -hmm. SIP, we we understand that to be a a perpetuating belief that makes their dysfunction stay there and continue on and maybe even get worse. That part of me has to go. Okay, well, that, that commitment to the very thing that... That, that commitment to getting rid of it is what's going to cause a lot of yes. pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's, you know, disconnection, there's yes. threat, there's self-betrayal, fear, there's yeah. shame. shame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shame response, which is going to either be attack self or attack other. Yeah. Like, that's how that's going to go. Yeah. Okay, so the final point we're going to talk about on this episode, and then we'll get into the four other points. <laughs> that we didn't get to. And this is a really, really beautiful piece. Um, It's creating a home base. So Mm -hmm. each part, each identified part needs a home base. It needs a space to feel safe, to feel protected, um, a place to rest and wait while you're interacting with the other parts or while, you know, the adult self is going about its day and, and, and work and all those other things. And so... It's Forgosh who really developed this concept of the home base mm. um, and the ego states finding their own place of safety, privacy, and relaxation. Yes. Yes. So as you've taken in the basic training, we've got Calm Safe Place that we do you know, with every client in their first sessions, um, and we're developing that. This is kind of a, a takeaway from that, but it's a calm, safe place or really a, a safe private relaxing place for Mm -hmm. each part Mm -hmm. that gets identified and it will be unique to that part and what their needs are what age they were at what developmental stage they were at. so i've got a really good example of this this is one of my favorite like you know we use the language safe haven for the part um and this particular person they didn't necessarily identify with you know all the parts live in a house together which sometimes happens in a system for her it was a lot more uh variable Mm. um but we identified a particular part and we're, you know, the very beginnings of working with it. And this part was about eight or nine years old. And when I was going through the safe haven process with her, it became very apparent that um, in that phase of life, she was very conscious of scarcity of resources and just sort of this constant feeling of, um, I have to beg for what I need and I still may not get it, particularly mm. around food and things like that. And so the safe haven that this eight, nine-year-old part created was what she called the peanut butter room. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and literally it was a pantry with a really comfy chair oh. that was filled with jars of her favorite peanut butter and she had a spoon. Oh, That's my God. And that was it. That was it. You know, I checked. I'm like, do you, do you want a TV in there? You want a book? Or what do you nope. Want? nope. I'm good. I got my peanut butter and my comfy chair and my big spoon. And it was just what so, a time. yeah, so yeah. unique. And, and the, you know, the client, the woman that 
um, was holding this part, she was in her mid-50s, and she came out of that experience going, that is so bizarre. Like, why? <laughs> but she's like, I could feel how excited she was. Oh, I could feel, yes. That. And just the, the individualized attention of really asking directly, what would be the thing that would help you feel the safest, the most comfortable, yeah. and the most cared about? For peanut some, butter. it's a jar of peanut butter. Oh, man, and it was just like automatic mm-hmm. there wasn't this sort of searching oh, and questioning yeah. <laughs> um for for a lot of people those younger parts they'll they'll want a bed they'll want mm-hmm. their puppy that they had when they were little they'll you know want a specific toy and so really allowing as much creativity as they want in that space to make it individualized to them is just a really really beautiful process yes mm-hmm. and if you think about the, the needs that are being met in that space are the original needs that yes. weren't met that's right that created the part in the first place and i will say too sometimes a safe haven for a part is actually going to be your office for a while yeah yeah and that's totally okay and that's a, beautiful when that can happen oh man yeah, absolutely so much yeah to to indicate that my office is a safe haven for any of those parts is a huge deal i had um somebody that did have a diagnosable did and one of her child parts, um, the way that we would work was by reading kids' books. And so her safe haven was my office, but specifically with Dr. Seuss books. Oh, <laughs> like, so it was that. this very like tangible object, her baby blanket, my couch, and the Dr. Seuss books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes making it more tangible and asking them, uh, what could I bring in that would help you feel even more comfortable here? Mm. And then actually doing it. And so the mm. session where I actually showed up, you know, I have a daughter, so that worked out real well. I have easy access to Dr. <laughs> Seuss books. Um, in that next session, when I showed up with a stack of five Dr. Seuss books, it was just this immediate reaction of, oh my gosh, mm. you remembered. Yeah. And you followed yeah. through. Sorry. And it's not just that I brought them. No, we're going to read them. Like, we're going to read Oh, the things you will think, because yes. that's my personal favorite. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, and one fish, blue fish, all that. Um, and actually doing that with a client to, to really install that sense of nurture and care in that safe haven, there's just nothing like it. Yeah. It's powerful. I think I might have Tom Hanks reading that book in my safe haven. <laughs> oh, the things oh, the you will thing. think. Yeah, oh, the things in you will think. Tom Hanks voice. Yes, so good. <laughs> so <him>. good. <laughs> Okay, guys, this is a lot of information. I really hope that it's helping shine light on what does it actually mean to do Mm -hmm. ego state work Mm -hmm. in a practical way in session. And we'll continue to break this down, give more examples and demonstrations so that we can... We will record some demos so you guys can actually hear how it sounds. And I really want it to just feel so creative and curious, not this big, scary thing. Like this Mm -hmm. is doing therapy this way to me is so natural. Mm -hmm. Like it just feels so human Mm -hmm. to me. It's not, you know, fill out this worksheet or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's deeply relational, deeply relational. And it teaches them to be relational with themselves, which to me is one of the best, uh, one of the best indicators Mm -hmm. of increasing quality of mental health yes and we can actually start to have a relationship with ourselves and safety a felt sense that's of right. safety in that's myself right. yes yes mm-hmm. that is beautiful so yeah. ego state is obviously close to all of our hearts yeah. here mm-hmm. at beyond healing center 
um, and we hope to talk more about it with you guys. Oh, we will. We definitely will. Yes. So I believe we have a couple yeah, shout-outs uh, still. Well, so before we sign off, we want to remind you guys um, to check out our website for the trainings. Mm-hmm. We have three different training offerings, trauma-informed care, both for clinicians and others. We yes. have somatic integration and processing, which is a case conceptualization training that is um, just really, really rich. And if you sometimes wonder why we come to the conclusions that we do when we're talking about cases, it's because of um, our focus on really robust case conceptualization skills. So if you want to know how we do it, that training is what that is. Yes. Um, And then uh, the EMDR basic training. We would love to come and do that at your agency or have you join us um, for a refresher if that's something that is of interest to you. But go to the website, uh, beyondhealingcenter.com slash trainings for all the information on that. Speaking of our website. Oh, yeah. uh, It is so nice to have uh, partnerships in in this work uh, where you don't have to worry about everything. Yeah, I don't don't need to be in charge of the website. That's a bad idea. (laughs) Yes, and our website was designed um, by a woman named Catherine Keller. We've talked about her on the podcast before, um, but endless shout-outs can be given to Catherine because of her amazing work, um, both in the designing aspect, but then also in the help that she's able to offer clinicians in uh, keeping their practice healthy and uh, in the work that they want to be doing. Yeah, and Uh, grow in a specific area that feels good to you. Yes, yes. Yeah, I remember she told us recently that all of the therapists that have reached out to her and worked with her had full caseloads within six months. Mm -hmm. Within six months. Yeah, I was like, yep, I believe that. And caseloads that they wanted to be carrying. That to me is the point. It's not just anyone. It's the people, it's the issues, or it's the population that you want to be working with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so endless praise. Um, the website um, is, I believe it's katherinekeller.com slash EMDR. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. backslash EMDR. Backslash mm-hmm. EMDR, yes. Mm-hmm. Please forget the slash backslash. You know, I don't know if you really need to say it or not, <laughs> but to me, it's there's the slash two directions. you see uh-huh. in a website yeah. URL. <laughs> the usual slash. That slash. Yeah. Um, and she, she loves to work with, with clinicians kind of all over the board um, in helping them have the caseload size and quality and, and type that they want. Yes. So yeah. uh, endless mm-hmm. praise for Catherine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she uh, offers a free consultation call for 30 minutes. So you can just pick her brain and kind of get a sense of that. Um, it's going to be supportive to you in your practice. So check her out. And thank you guys so much for being with us today and listening as we continue to talk about the beauty of ego state mixed with EMDR. Literally one of my favorite topics ever. So we'll be back next time to talk more about ego state as preparation and resourcing. Love it. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.